0: section 7 of castles in the air this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org reading by lars rolander castles in the air by baroness emushka orksey chapter 4 carissimo part 1 you must not think for a moment, my dear sir, that I was ever actually deceived in Theodore. Was it likely that I, who am by temperament and habit accustomed to read human visages like a book, was it likely, I say, that I would fail to see the craftiness in those pale, shifty eyes, deceit in the weak, slobbering mouth, intemperance in the whole aspect? of the shrunken, slouchy figure which I had, for my subsequent sorrow, so generously rescued from starvation. Generous? I was more than generous to him. They say that the poor are the friends of the poor. And I told you how poor we were in those days. Ah! But poor, my dear sir, you have no conception. Meet in Paris in the autumn of eighteen sixteen was twenty-four francs the kilo and milk one franc the quarter-liter not to mention eggs and butter which were delicacies far beyond the reach of cultured well-born people like myself and yet throughout that trying year i fed theodore yes i fed him he used to share onion pie with me whenever i partook of it and he had haricot soup every day, into which I allowed him to boil the skins of all the sausages and the luscious bones of all the cutlets of which I happened to partake. Then think what he cost me in drink. Never could I leave a half or quarter bottle of wine, but he would finish it. His impudent fingers made light of every lock and key. I dared not allow as much as a sou to rest in the pocket of my coat but he would ferret it out the moment i hung the coat up in the outer room and my back was turned for a few seconds after a while i was forced yes i sir who have spoken on terms of equality with kings i was forced to go out and make my own purchases in the neighbouring provision shops and why because if i sent theodore and gave him a few sous wherewith to make these purchases he would spend the money at the nearest cabaret in getting drunk of absinthe he robbed me sir shamefully despite the fact that he had ten per cent commission on the, all the profits of the firm i gave him twenty francs out of the money which i had earned at the sweat of my brow in the service of estelle Bachelier twenty francs sir reckoning two hundred francs as business profit on the affair a generous provision you will admit and yet he taunted me with having received a thousand this was mere guesswork of course and i took no notice of his taunts did the brains that conceived the business deserve no payment was my labour to be counted as dross the humiliation, the blows which I had to endure, while he sat in hoggish content, eating and sleeping without thought for the morrow, after which he calmly pocketed the twenty francs to earn, which he had not raised one finger, and then demanded more. No, no, my dear sir, you will believe me or not, that man could not go straight times out of count he would try and deceive me despite the fact that once or twice he very nearly came hopelessly to grief in the attempt now just to give you an instance about this time paris was in the grip of a gang of dog-thieves as unscrupulous and heartless as they were daring can you wonder at it with that awful penury about and a number of expensive tutu Running about the streets under the very noses of the indigent proletariat. The ladies of the aristocracy and of the wealthy bourgeoisie had imbibed this craze for lapdogs during their sojourn in England at the time of the emigration. And being women of the Latin race and of undisciplined temperament, they were just then carrying their craze to excess. As I was saying, this indulgence led to wholesome thieving. Tutus were abstracted from their adoring mistresses with marvelous adroitness, whereupon two or three days would elapse, while the adoring mistress wept buckets full of tears and set the police of Monsieur Fouché, Duc d'Autrante, by the ears in search of her pet. The next act in the tragicomedy would be an anonymous demand for money varying in amount in accordance with the known or supposed wealth of the lady and an equally anonymous threat of dire vengeance upon the tutu if the police were put upon the track of the thieves you will ask me no doubt what all this had to do with theodore well i will tell you you must know that of late he had become extraordinarily haughty and independent i could not keep him to his work His duties were to sweep the office. He did not do it. To light the fires, I had to light them myself every morning. To remain in the anteroom and show clients in, he was never at his post. In fact, he was never there when I did want him. Morning, noon, and night he was out, gadding about and coming home, sir, only to eat and sleep. I was seriously thinking of giving him the sack and then one day he disappeared. Yes, sir, disappeared completely as if the earth had swallowed him up. One morning, it was in the beginning of December, and the cold was biting, I arrived at the office and found that his chair-bed, which stood in the antechamber, had not been slept in, in fact that it had not been made up overnight. In the cupboard I found the remnants of an onion-pie, half a sausage and a quarter of a litre of wine which proved conclusively that he had not been in to supper at first i was not greatly disturbed in my mind i had found out quite recently that theodore had some sort of a squalid home of his own somewhere behind the fish-market together with an old and fully disreputable mother who plied him with drink whenever he spent an evening with her and either he or she had a franc in their pocket still after these boots spent in the bosom of his family he usually returned to sleep them off at my expense in my office i had unfortunately very little to do that day so in the late afternoon not having seen anything of theodore at all i turned my steps toward the house behind the fish-market where lived the mother of that ungrateful wretch The woman's surprise when I inquired after her precious son was undoubtedly genuine. Her lamentations and crocodile tears certainly were not. She reeked of alcohol, and the one room which she inhabited was indescribably filthy. I offered her half a franc if she gave me authentic news of Theodore, knowing well that for that sum she would have sold him to the devil." But very obviously she knew nothing of his whereabouts, and I soon made haste to shake the dirt of her abode from my heels. I had become vaguely anxious. I wondered if he had been murdered somewhere down a back street, and if I should miss him very much. I did not think that I would. Moreover, no one could have any object in murdering Theodore. In his own stupid way he was harmless enough and he certainly was not possessed of anything worth stealing i myself was not over-fond of the man but i should not have bothered to murder him still i was undoubtedly anxious and slept but little that night thinking of the wretch when the following morning i arrived at my office and still could see no trace of him i had serious thoughts of putting the law in motion on his behalf Just then, however, an incident occurred which drove all thoughts of such an insignificant personage as Theodore from my mind. I had just finished tidying up the office when there came a peremptory ring at the outer door, repeated at intervals of twenty seconds or so. It meant giving a hasty glance all round to see that no fragments of onion pie or of cheap claret lingered in unsuspected places and it meant my going myself to open the door to my impatient visitor. I did it, sir, and then at the door I stood transfixed. I had seen many beautiful women in my day, great ladies of the court, brilliant ladies of the consulate, the directorate, and the empire. But never in my life had I seen such an exquisite and resplendent apparition, as the one which now sailed through the antechamber of my humble abode. Sir, Hector Ratichon's heart has ever been susceptible to the charms of beauty in distress. This lovely being, sir, who now at my invitation entered my office and sank with perfect grace into the armchair, was in obvious distress. Tears hung on the fringe of her dark lashes and the gossamer-like handkerchief which she held in her dainty hand was nothing but a wet rag. She gave herself exactly two minutes wherein to compose herself, after which she dried her eyes, and turned the full artillery of her bewitching glance upon me monsieur ratichon she began even before i had taken my accustomed place at my desk and assumed that engaging smile which inspires confidence even in the most timorous monsieur ratichon they tell me that you are so clever and oh i am in such trouble madame i rejoined with noble simplicity you may trust me to do the impossible in order to be of service to you. Admirably put, you will admit, I have always been counted a master of appropriate diction, and I had been quick enough to note the plain band of gold which encircled the third finger of her dainty left hand. Flanked, though, it was by a multiplicity of diamond, pearl, and other jeweled rings, you are kind, Monsieur Ratichon," resumed the beauteous creature, more calmly. But indeed, you will require all the ingenuity of your resourceful brain in order to help me in this matter. I am struggling in the grip of a relentless fate, which, if you do not help me, will leave me broken-hearted. Command me, Madame," I reposted quietly, from out the daintiest of reticules the fair lady now extracted a very greasy and very dirty bit of paper and handed it to me with the brief request read this i pray you my good monsieur ratichon i took the paper it was a clumsily worded ill-written ill-spelt demand for five thousand francs failing which sum the thing which madame had lost would forthwith be destroyed I looked up, puzzled, at my fair client. "'My darling Carissimo, my dear Monsieur Ratichon,' she said in reply to my mute query. "'Carissimo?' I stammered, yet further intrigued. "'My darling pet, a valuable creature, the companion of my lonely hours,' she rejoined, once more bursting into tears. "'If I lose him—' "'My heart will inevitably break.' "'I understood at last. "'Madame has lost her dog?' I asked. "'She nodded. "'It has been stolen by one of those expert dog-thieves "'who then levy blackmail on the unfortunate owner?' "'Again she nodded in assent. "'I read the dirty, almost illegible scrawl through "'more carefully this time.' it was a clumsy notification addressed to madame la comtesse de nol de saint-prix to the effect that her tutu was for the moment safe and would be restored to the arms of his fond mistress provided the sum of five thousand francs was deposited in the hands of the bearer of the missive minute directions were then given as to where and how the money was to be deposited madame la comtesse de nol was on the third day from this at six o'clock in the evening precisely to go in person and alone to the angle of the rue guenegault and the rue mazarin at the rear of the institute there two men would meet her one of whom would have carissimo in his arms to the other she must hand over the money whereupon the pet would at once be handed back to her but if she failed to keep this appointment or if in the meanwhile She made the slightest attempt to trace the writer of the missive or to lay a trap for his capture by the police, Carissimo would at once meet with a summary death. These were the usual tactics of experienced dog thieves, only that in this case the demand was certainly exorbitant. Five thousand francs! But even so! I cast a rapid and comprehensive glance on the brilliant apparition before me. The jewelled rings, the diamonds in the shell-like ears, the priceless fur coat, and with an expressive shrug of the shoulders, I handed the dirty scrap of paper back to its fair recipient. Alas, madame, I said, taking care that she should not guess how much it cost me to give her such advice. I am afraid that in such cases, there is nothing to be done if you wish to save your pet, you will have to pay ah but monsieur she exclaimed tearfully you don't understand carissimo is all the world to me and this is not the first time nor yet the second that he has been stolen from me three times my good monsieur ratichon three times has he been stolen And three times have I received such peremptory demands for money for his safe return, and every time the demand has been more and more exorbitant. Less than a month ago, Monsieur le Comte paid three thousand francs for his recovery. Monsieur le Comte, I queried. My husband, sir, she replied with an exquisite air of hauteur. Monsieur le Comte de Nol de Saint Pri. Ah, then. I continued calmly. I fear me that Monsieur de Nol de Saint-Prix will have to pay again. But he won't! she now cried out in a voice broken with sobs, and incontinently once more secured her gossamer handkerchief with her tears. Then I see nothing for it, Madame. I rejoined much against my will with a slight touch of impatience. I see nothing for it but that yourself. Ah! "'But, monsieur,' she retorted with a sigh that would have melted a heart of stone, "'that is just my difficulty. I cannot pay.' "'Madame,' I protested. "'Oh, if I had money of my own,' she continued, with an adorable gesture of impatience, "'I would not worry. Mais voilà! I have not a silver franc of my own to bless myself with monsieur le comte is over he pays all my bills without a murmur he pays my dressmaker my furrier he loads me with gifts and dispenses charity on a lavish scale in my name i have horses carriages servants everything i can possibly want and more but i never have more than a few hundred francs to dispose of up to now i have never for a moment felt the want of money to-day when carissimo is being lost to me i feel the entire horror of my position but surely madame i urged monsieur le comte no monsieur she replied monsieur le comte has flatly refused this time to pay these abominable thieves for the recovery of carissimo he upbraids himself for having yielded to their demands on the three previous occasions He calls these demands blackmailing, and vows that to give them money again is to encourage them in their nefarious practices. Oh, he has been cruel to me, cruel! For the first time in my life, monsieur, my husband has made me unhappy, and if I lose my darling now, I shall indeed be broken-hearted. I was silent for a moment or two. I was beginning to wonder what part I should be expected to play in the tragedy which was being unfolded before me by this lovely but impecunious creature. Madame la Comtesse, I suggested tentatively, after a while, your jewellery, you must have a vast number which you seldom wear. Five thousand francs is soon made up. You see, sir, my hopes of a really good remunerative business had by now dwindled down to a vanishing point. All that was left of them was a vague idea that the beautiful Comtesse would perhaps employ me as an intermediary for the sale of some of her jewellery, in which case— But already her next words disillusioned me even on that point. "'No, monsieur,' she said, "'what would be the use? Through one of the usual perverse tricks of fate, monsieur le comte would be sure to inquire after the very piece of jewellery of which i had so disposed and moreover moreover yes madame la comtesse moreover my husband is right she concluded decisively if i give in to those thieves to-day and pay them five thousand francs they would only set to work to steal carissimo again and demand ten thousand francs from me another time i was silent what could i say her argument was indeed unanswerable no my good monsieur ratichon she said very determinedly after a while i have quite decided that you must confound those thieves they have given me three days grace as you see in their abominable letter if after three days the money is not forthcoming and if in the meanwhile i dare to set a trap for them or in any way communicate with the police my darling carissimo will be killed and my heart be broken madame la comtesse i entreated for of a truth i could not bear to see her cry again you must bring carissimo back to me monsieur ratichon she continued peremptorily before those awful three days have elapsed i swear that i will i rejoined solemnly but i must admit that i did it entirely on the spur of the moment for of truth i saw no prospect whatever of being able to accomplish what she desired without my paying a single louis to those execrable thieves the exquisite creature went on peremptorily it shall be done madame la comtesse and let me tell you she now added with the sweetest and archest of smiles that if you succeed in this Monsieur le Comte de Nole de Saint-Prix will gladly you pay you the five thousand francs which he refuses to give to those miscreants. Five thousand francs! A mist swam before my eyes. Mais, Madame la Comtesse, I stammered. Oh, she added with an adorable uptilting of her little chin, I am not promising what I cannot fulfil. Monsieur Le Comte de Nol only said this morning, apropos of dog-thieves, that he would gladly give 10,000 francs to anyone who succeeded in ridding society of such pests. I could have knelt down on the hard floor, sir, and... Well then, madame, was my ready rejoinder. Why not 10,000 francs to me? She bit her coral lips, but she also smiled. I could see that my personality and my manners had greatly impressed her. I will only be responsible for the first five thousand, she said lightly. But for the rest I can confidently assure you that you will not find a miser in Monsieur le Comte de Nol de Saint Prix. I could have knelt down on the hard floor, sir, and kissed her exquisite shod feet. Five thousand francs certain, perhaps ten. A fortune, sir, in those days one that would keep me in comfort nay affluence until something else turned up i was swimming in the empyrean and only came rudely to earth when i recollected that i should have to give theodore something for his share of the business ah fortunately that for the moment he was comfortably out of the way thoughts that perhaps he had been murdered after all once more coursed through my brain, not unpleasantly, I'll admit. I would not have raised a finger to hurt the fellow, even though he had treated me with the basest ingratitude and treachery. But if someone else took the trouble to remove him, why indeed should I quarrel with fate? Back I came swiftly to the happy present, the lovely creature was showing me a beautiful painted miniature of Carissimo a king Charles spaniel of no common type this she suggested that I should keep by me for the present for purposes of identification after this we had to go into the details of the circumstances under which she had lost her pet she had been for a walk with him it seems along the quay voltaire and was returning home by the side of the river when suddenly a number of workmen in blouses and peak caps came trooping out of a side street and obstructed her progress she had carissimo on the lead and she at once admitted to me that at first she never thought of connecting this pushing and jostling rabble with any possible theft she held her ground for a while facing the crowd for a few moments she was right in the midst of it and just then she felt the dog straining at the lead she turned round at once with the intention of picking him up when to her horror she saw that there was only a bundle of something weighty at the end of the lead and that the dog had disappeared the whole incident occurred the lovely creature declared within the space of thirty seconds the next instant the crowd had scattered in several directions the men running and laughing as they went Madame la Comtesse was left standing alone on the quay, not a passer-by in sight, and the only chandam visible a long way down the quay had his back turned toward her. Nevertheless she ran and hide him, and presently he turned, and realizing that something was amiss, he too ran to meet her. He listened to her story, swore lustily, but shrugged his shoulders in token that the tale did not surprise him, And that but little could be done. Nevertheless, he at once summoned those of his colleagues who were on duty in the neighbourhood, and one of them went off immediately to notify the theft at the nearest commissariat of police, after which they all proceeded to a comprehensive scoring of the many tortuous side streets of the quartier, but needless to say, there was no sign of Carissimo or his abductors. That night my lovely client went home distracted. The following evening, when broken-hearted, she wandered down the quay, living over again the agonizing moments during which she lost her pet. A workman in a blouse, with a peaked cap pulled well over his eyes, lurched up against her, and thrust into her hand the missive which she had just shown me. He then disappeared into the night, and she had only the vaguest possible recollection of his appearance that sir was the substance of the story which the lovely creature told me in a voice oft choked with tears i questioned her very closely and in my most impressive professional manner as to the identity of any one man among the crowd who might have attracted her attention But all that she could tell me was that she had a vague impression of a wizened hunchback with evil face, shaggy red beard and hair, and a black patch covering the left eye. End of chapter 4, part 1. Read by Lars Rolander